Thank you for listening to the sermons from St. Timothy's Church. For more information, please check out our website at stTimothystores.org or come visit us Sunday nights at 615 at the St. Mark's Chapel right here on Yukon's campus. Well, I'm delighted to be together tonight back on campus in person. And we're going to continue our service by diving into God's Word. Um, and we believe that God's Word is living and active. So when it's, when it's spoken, when it's read, there's, a, there's an active response. That there are things that will resonate with us personally, with our circumstances and our situations. So as we read the scripture tonight, I invite you to read it like a prayer. I'll read it over you. And as you listen to the Lord's Word spoken over you, I invite you to ask God, what do you want me to know today? What do you want to highlight to me? What do you want to say to me? What do you want to talk to me about? And as we prepare to hear God's word, we just want to let go of any stress or anxiety or distraction that we're carrying in with us today. So I invite you to just close your eyes and take a deep breath in, just breathing in the goodness of God, allowing him to fill your lungs. And a long, slow breath out, just letting go whatever you carried in with you today. And one deep breath in, just breathing in God being here now in this moment. And letting it go of any fear, anxiety, or pain that you're feeling in your body. So Father, speak to us through your word. We are listening with open hands, with open hearts, and with open minds. Daniel 2. In the second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His mind was troubled and he could not sleep. So the king summoned the magicians, the enchanters, the sorcerers, and the astrologers to tell him what he had dreamed. And when they came in and stood before the king, he said to them, I've had a dream that troubles me, and I want to know what it means. Then the astrologers answered the king, May the king live forever. Tell your servants the dream, and we will interpret it. And the king replied to the astrologers, This is what I have firmly decided. If you do not tell me what my dream was and interpret it, I will have you cut into pieces and your houses turned into piles of rubble. But if you tell me the dream and then you explain it, you will receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. So tell me the dream and interpret it for me. One more, once more, they replied, let the king tell his servants the dream and we will interpret it. Then the king answered, I am certain that you are trying to gain time because you realize that this is what I have firmly decided. If you do not tell me the dream, there's only one penalty for you. You have conspired to tell me misleading and wicked things, hoping the situation will change. So then tell me the dream. And I will know that you can interpret it for me. The astrologers answered the king, There is no one on earth who can do what the king asks. No king, however great or however mighty, has ever asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or astrologer. What the king asks is too difficult. No one can reveal it to the king except the gods. And they do not live among humans. This made the king so angry and furious that he ordered the execution of all the wise men of Babylon. So the decree was issued to put the wise men to death 
and the men were sent to look for Daniel and his friends to put them to death. When Arioch, the commander of the king's guard, had gone out to put to death the wise men of Babylon, Daniel spoke to him with wisdom and tact. He asked the king's officer, why did the king issue such a harsh decree? Arioch then explained the matter to Daniel. At this, Daniel went into the king and asked for time so that he might interpret the dream for him. Then Daniel returned to his house and explained the matter to his friends Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. He urged them to plead for mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery, so that he and his friends might not be executed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. During the night, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision. Then Daniel praised the God of heaven and said, Praise be to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. He changes times and seasons. He deposes kings and raises up others. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what lies in darkness and and light dwells with him. I thank and praise you, God, God of my ancestors. You have given me wisdom and power. You have made known to me what we asked of you. You have made known to us the dream of the king. The king asked Daniel, also called Belteshazzar, Are you able to tell me what I saw in my dream and interpret it? And Daniel replied, No wise man, enchanter, magician, or diviner can explain to the king the mystery he has asked about. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. He has shown King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in days to come. Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell prostrate before Daniel and paid him honor and ordered that an offering and incense be presented to him. The king said to Daniel, Surely your God is the God of gods and the Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries, for you were able to reveal this mystery. Then the king placed Daniel in a high position and lavished many gifts on him. He made him ruler over the entire province of Babylon and placed him in charge of all its wise men. Moreover, at Daniel's request, the king appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego as administrators over the province of Babylon, while Daniel himself remained in the royal court. So, Father, this is a long word from the Lord, but speak to us. What would you have us take away from this today? So this is a long chapter, and we took I, we didn't talk about what the actual dream was. We'll talk about that a little bit later. Um, but this is a long passage. There's a lot going on. Daniel's story is such a fascinating one. But like we started to explore his story last week, the story of a faithful man of God, despite circumstances, despite situations, he chooses to be faithful. Um, and this is yet another example, and we'll see more examples next week and in the, in the weeks to come. How time and time again he chooses to be faithful. 
But I think this passage is so interesting because of, it's like an impossible situation. It reminds me of the phrase, does anyone, have you ever asked anyone a question and they sort of respond, ugh, God only knows. And it's like one of those like sort of sarcastic, throwaway things you say when it's like an unanswerable question. So you're waiting for the Yukon bus, which is always late, and you're like, when is this bus ever going to get here? And the person next to you is like, oh, God only knows. But what's interesting about this, so like usually it's like this throwaway, dismissive, sort of like, yeah, we have no way of knowing this is impossible to know. But in Daniel 2, that's actually the accurate, faithful response. God only knows. What happened in Nebuchadnezzar's dream? God only knows. How, did Daniel, how can Daniel save all of these men of Babylon? How's he going to do it? God only knows. What actually even happened in Nebuchadnezzar's dream? God only knows. So at every twist and at every turn in Daniel 2, God only knows. And God only reveals. And we get to this point where we realize that God only knows and God only reveals because God only and eternally and ultimately is in charge. He's in charge of Daniel. He's in charge of the sorcerers whose life lives are on the line. He's in charge of Nebuchadnezzar, whether or not Nebuchadnezzar likes it. And fast forward a couple thousand years, he's in charge of you, he's in charge of me. He's in charge of that person who causes you the most grief and anxiety and frustration in your life. He's in charge of them. He's in charge of believers and non-believers. He's in charge of things that happen in public and things that happen in secret. He's ultimately and eternally and only in charge of every aspect of creation. And we see that powerfully in Daniel 2. And it reminds us, I think it starts with this, this, it starts, the narrative starts with Nebuchadnezzar because it reminds us that even the person who seems to hold the most power over you, the person with whom it feels like your whole well-being is in their hand, is in their hand. Your, your financial future, your professional future, your personal future, everything is in their hands. That person is not as powerful as God Almighty. That person is not the maker of heaven and earth. That person is not God who can bring to his face the most powerful king in the ancient world with a bad dream. Because I think it's really important. You might not have noticed at the very, very beginning, the section starts in the second year of his reign. Which seems like a throwaway detail, but scholars suggest that that's very important. Because that situates us, where are we in Nebuchadnezzar's reign? And we're at probably one of the highest points. That suggests this, this dream comes right after, I've got to get this name right, Car- the Battle of Carchemish. And in the Battle of Carchemish is Nebuchadnezzar's one of his greatest victories. He demolishes the armies of Egypt, the armies of Assyria. He pretty much wipes them off the world map. And Babylon ascends as the dominant world power after that. Assyria and Egypt never recover. The armies are totally, are significantly demolished and do not recover. So this, is a, this should be his victory lap. Nebuchadnezzar has now established himself almost, I mean there are other players, but he's established himself as probably one of, if not the most powerful men in the ancient world. He can say this whole group of people are going to die and they die. So he's at the height of his power, probably no human being more powerful than him in the ancient world. Yet, he can't shake this dream. He can't sleep at night 
because he has this troubling dream and he can't get any answers about it. And we didn't read the account of the dream. It's, it's a little bit long and a little bit complicated. But to give you just, and I invite you to read it on your own. Right, It's right there in Daniel 2 in the text. Um, but just to give you the short, like, spark notes version, he has this dream. Um, he dreams of a, a statue, and the head of the statue is gold. The chest of the statue is silver. The midsection is bronze. The legs are iron, and the feet, and the feet are clay. And a rock, in the dream, a rock is thrown at the statue, and the statue just shatters. It's demolished. And then that stone suddenly becomes like a giant mountain that fills the entire earth. So a weird dream. Like, that's legitimately a weird dream. But Nebuchadnezzar knows it's not just like, oh, I had a burrito too close to bedtime, and now I'm having a weird dream. Like, he knows there's something divine about this. This has the touch of the gods on it. So, so something's up with this. So he goes to Daniel, and, Daniel's, and Daniel prays, and Daniel gets the interpretation, which is it's not particularly important for our purposes, so I'll give you, the, I'll give you again the spark notes. He tells, Daniel tells him that what God is actually giving him is not that um, Nebuchadnezzar thinks that that's a warning, that he's just had this giant victory, and now his kingdom's going to be demolished, that that stone is like the hand of God coming for him. And Daniel says, no, no, calm down. It's gonna, that is a vision, a long-term vision, uh, a centuries-long vision of what is to come. That Babylon is the, is the head of gold, the strong, the strong kingdom, and the other sort of lesser, the silver, the iron, the clay, those are kingdoms to come after. So what we would now say Persia, Greece, and Rome. Those are the kingdoms that will come after Babylon. Um, but all these kingdoms will ultimately be destroyed and replaced by the kingdom of God which is the stone that smashes them and then becomes the mountain. So Daniel said, it's okay, calm down. You're not going from greatest victory to greatest defeat. This is, this is generations looking into the future. We have not, even to this day, seen the realization of that dream. We have not seen God's kingdom come to earth that way. So why give him this dream? Why give him this weird dream? Because he's, God is telling Nebuchadnezzar that Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom is not eternal. You're at your highest moment of victory. You think you are the most powerful man in the world, in all of creation. And God says, "Uh uh-uh. My kingdom is eternal. So God is humbling Nebuchadnezzar. He's reminding him who's in charge. God is eternally and only in charge. And he's humbling him not only through the dream itself, but through the deliverer of the interpretation. He goes to all the top guys first, all the people who should know, the court, um, the court advisors, his top royal magician, magicians, his top royal enchanters. These are the go-to guys. If they don't know, nobody knows. And every single one of them, in a voice, says it's impossible to do what the king has asked. No man can do this, but God can do this, and God chooses to speak through a man. And not the mighty and the powerful, not the privileged and the positioned, but the powerless, the exiled, the marginalized. He takes the underdog to speak truth to the top dog. God chooses to speak through his servant Daniel, who we saw last week is an exile from Israel, is suffering the punishment of disobedience that that God has given to Israel, who's been exiled to Babylon. He's already proven himself faithful 
We saw last week that when the chips were down, Daniel chose to be faithful to God. When it looked like he was going to either have to defile himself to break his covenant with God or starve to death, he said, I believe that there's another way, that God has another path for me. And he was faithful and God honored that. So fast forward, here's an opportunity to be faithful again. His life is on the line again. Poor Daniel cannot get a break. His life is on the line again. But he's already demonstrated himself faithful. He's already seen God make a way where there is no human way. Where even the experts say there's no human way. He's seen God make a way. So he steps up to the plate. He says, give me a chance. Give me a chance. Let me talk to God. Because he believes so wholeheartedly in God. He does what no one else thinks is possible. What other religious leaders say no human can do. And interestingly, what has never been done in scripture before. So usually when you see a miracle in scripture, there's some precedent for it. You've seen the miracle happen maybe before. In Genesis, we looked, we looked at all the miracles. And the patriarchs, most miracles have already happened. But we have never seen this miracle happen. In Genesis, we see God give Joseph, if you remember Joseph, an interpretation for Pharaoh's dream. Joseph, likewise, is in jail. His, his future is looking grim, but he, Pharaoh has a dream and he's able to interpret it for Pharaoh. But Joseph doesn't get the dream. Pharaoh tells him the dream, Joseph interprets it. So, okay, you, you need us to interpret your dream. God can give us an interpretation of a dream. That's been done before. We've seen God do that. But no one to this point has ever seen God give the person the dream and then give them the interpretation. So what happens to Daniel is not something like, oh, I've seen, this in, I've seen this in the Bible before, so I can do this. God can work this way. This is a first-time miracle. But Daniel believes it's possible. Daniel believes that God can make a way where there is no other way, where there has never been a way, because he knows that God's in charge. He knows that God only knows and God only reveals and God only is in charge. And we see Nebuchadnezzar falls to his face in worship, proclaiming that Daniel's God is the God of gods and the Lord of lords. It is a miracle. But it's not just an ancient miracle. I think it's easy to read this text and all the layers of history and interpretation and think, like, wow, that's a really interesting thing that happened in the past. I'm glad that, I'm glad that worked out for Daniel. But I think similar to last week, this passage invites us to believe that what God does for Daniel, God can do for us. God transforms an impossible situation for Daniel a situation that felt like a desperate dead end, like literally, literally a death sentence. And we thought about this briefly last week, but I just want to go back to it again. I want you to just think for a minute. This is in your bulletins if you want to open up. Are you facing an impossible situation? Kind of go through your mind, check in with your heart. Are you facing an impossible situation where every option feels like a bad option? Where there is no good way forward unless God intervenes. Take a minute. Think about that for a second. Write it down if you want.
maybe you have a current situation in mind where it just feels desperate. Or you don't see a way forward. There's not a good path forward. Or maybe you can remember a time when you felt that way. When there was not a good path forward. And I think at the very simplest, this passage is an encourager, is a reminder that God is in charge. So whatever that circumstance is currently or was in the past, we can take a breath and let go because God is in charge. He's in charge of every aspect of that situation, whether or not it feels like it in this moment. And I think it's important, that dream that he gives to Nebuchadnezzar is a reminder that he's in charge, but he doesn't pull Nebuchadnezzar off the throne. Nebuchadnezzar will reign for 40 years. The kingdom will continue. Then there'll be Persia, there'll be Greece, and there'll be Rome. So God is in charge, but that doesn't mean he acts immediately. That doesn't mean he's going to intervene in this moment the way we want, the way we expect. But we can take a breath, we can take a pause, we can relax our shoulders, because we know God is in charge. And however long it takes, and by whatever means he chooses to use, he will get it done. He will make a way. And God is in charge. He knows every aspect of what's happening in our lives. And sometimes, he's going to give us insight. He's going to give us understanding about what is coming next. Gabby, you were talking about this. Sometimes, sometimes he does, sometimes he doesn't. Because remember, God only knows and God only reveals and God only is in charge. Sometimes he does, sometimes he doesn't. Sometimes he just needs us to trust him. He says, I just need you to keep walking with me and believing that I'm good and trusting that I am in charge and I will, I will make a way. And sometimes you walk by faith. But sometimes he reveals. Just like he did with Daniel. Sometimes he reveals. Maybe not everything you're asking, maybe not the time, the date, the person, the place. But sometimes he gives you a peace. And we can always ask. I don't want you to feel like just because God sometimes reveals and sometimes invites us to trust him, that we can't ask. I ask all the time. I keep asking. Even if I'm not getting anything, I just keep asking. I figure I'll wear him down eventually. But we can always ask. And I think this text is important. We can always ask, but how we ask matters. So we don't ask like Nebuchadnezzar. It's like, give me what I want or else. We don't threaten God. We don't say, if you don't do this for me, I'm out. I'm walking. I'm not going to follow you anymore. We might feel that way. We might feel like this is so important that if you don't make a way, I'm out. But you'll find in most relationships, a threat is not an effective technique. And the same is true of God. Because he knows we're having like a little toddler tantrum moment. So we don't ask like Nebuchadnezzar. Because it doesn't, it doesn't get us anywhere. It doesn't advance our relationship with God. He doesn't care. He's not going to punish us. But it doesn't get us what we want. But we can ask like Daniel. And what does Daniel do? We saw it in the text. He invites his closest, most trusted friends to pray with him. Because he doesn't try to do it alone. He doesn't try to figure it out alone. He doesn't think, I'm the one man who God speaks to. So it's just me and God all by myself. He trusts the people he trusts and he knows and have his back. He says, pray with me. Seek God with me. So I'm just going to give you, we're just going to do this quick. I'm going to give you a moment. I want you to write the names of a few trusted friends or family that you can ask to pray with you. 
And I want you to go out tonight and then ask them to pray with you about whatever the circumstance or situation is, big or small, minor or major, ask them to pray with you and for you. And if no one is coming to mind, if you're sitting there thinking like, oh, there's no one I can ask, put my name, E-M-I-L-Y, put my name in there, put Vince's name. We pray over your cards every week. Put it, write down your prayer request and we will pray with you and for you. If you can't think of anyone, put us and we will pray with you and for you. So I'll give you a minute to do that. I know you don't want to be a burden. You don't want to add something to someone's busy, busy schedules. If they are your friend, if they love you, they want to pray with you and for you. They want to see you find a way. These guys stay up all night playing the game. Ask your friends to pray with you. So we, we ask friends to pray with us. We ask people to support us. And then we, we trust, we know that God only knows and God only reveals because God only is in charge. So we say, God, what do you want us to know? Maybe you don't want to tell me the part that I want, the name, the face, the place, the time, the date. But I assure you, God will tell you something. We can ask him to tell us what he wants us to know, whatever that is. And like I said, I've been praying about my own challenging situation over and over and over again. God, like, how is this going to resolve? How is this going to work out? Like, what are you going to do? When are you going to do it? I'm ready. I'm waiting. And for me, I find those prayers go nowhere. Have you ever prayed and just felt like it hits the ceiling and comes back down? Like you're just praying into, like, a closed door? That's how those prayers have felt for me, even though I keep trying. Keep praying. Give me time. Give me a date. Give me a way. Give me a place. Closed door prayers. Not that God doesn't care, but he's not going to tell me. So I've been changing the way I've been praying. Instead of give me time, give me a way, give me a place, how are you going to fix this? I said, God, what do you want me to know? This is a mess. I can't fix this. I can't make it better. What do you want me to do? What do you want me to know? Because this isn't working. And you know what? When I pray that prayer, it's like the ceiling opens up. And all of a sudden, I just have a big, like, deep breath of peace. Even just saying it now, I just feel like a deep peace wash over my body. I still don't know how it's going to get better. I don't know how he's going to fix it. I don't know when he's going to fix it. But even as I'm talking, it's like, all right, it's going to be okay. I don't need to know the details. I don't need to know the whens or the hows or the whys or the wheres. But I know that you've got it. I know that he's got it. And that he will find a way. So I'm going to give us just a minute to pray just a minute of silence to pray and I invite you to just pray open handedly invite God to tell you what he wants you to know whatever that may be even if it's just a sense of peace that it's going to be okay so Father we are here and we are hungry from a word for a word from you so speak Lord whatever it is you want us to know we are listening